The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. Jeremiah 17, and today is 7 and 8. Blessed is the woman who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For she shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out her roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes. Her leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will she cease from yielding fruit. Blessed is the woman who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. She shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out her roots by the river, will not fear when heat comes. Its leaf will be green, will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit, even in the drought times. Yippee! I mean, it doesn't get any sweeter than that. Okay, turn to 18. And we've chapter 18, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again into another vessel as seemed good to the potter. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring it. And the instant I speak concerning the nation and concerning the kingdom to build and plan it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I will benefit it. Now therefore speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, this is tragic, it's hopeless. We will walk according to our own plans and every one of us will obey the dictates of our evil heart. Therefore, says the Lord, ask now among the Gentiles, the virgin of Israel has done a horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow water of Lebanon, which comes from the rock of the field? Will the cold flowing waters be forsaken for a strange water? And I brought this. They rejected the cold flowing water, the living water that was God himself, to choose strange waters. And the only strange waters I can think of are that little is that little pond by Talbot subdivision that's all green from algae, and he said God is astonished at the response of His people. They have rejected living water that flows out of the rock to take strange waters, green stagnant ponds, and worse than that, they chose sewage instead of even green stagnant ponds. 
instead of the living God. My people have forgotten me. They've burned incense to worthless idols. They have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient past, to walk in pathways and not on a highway, to make their land desolate and a hissing. Everyone who passes by will be astonished and shake his head. I will scatter them as an east wind before the enemy. I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. Then they said, Come let us devise a plan against Jeremiah. For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come and let us attack him with our tongue, and let us not give heed to any of his words. So the prophet shares what God is going to do, and they want to, they, they persecute him. Let's pick it up in chapter 20, in verse 7. This is the prophet Jeremiah, and he goes into poetry. Whenever his heart is overwhelmed, he just lapses into poetry. You have an incredibly gifted man. He, the anguish of his soul, he puts into poetry. I wish we could all read Hebrew, don't you? Oh, Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and have prevailed. I am laughed at daily. Everyone mocks me. When I spoke, I cried out, and I shouted violence and plunder because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not mention him any more, nor speak any more in his name. But your word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. I heard many mocking, fear in every side. Report, they say, and we will report it. All my acquaintances watched for my stumbling, saying, he can be induced. Then we will prevail against him. We will take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not prevail. They will be ashamed. They will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. But, O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous, see the mind and the heart. Let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. Sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. He has delivered the life of the poor from the hand of the evil one. Dear Lord Jesus, would you like to come to Bible study today? We would love to have you. And we already sense your presence here. And we are so grateful. Because everything is so different when Jesus comes. Lord Jesus, would you teach? Would you open the word to our hearts? And would you transform our lives? So that, Father, we are never, ever the same. Would you set our hearts on fire with love for God? Would you burn out the dross, burn out sin, the presence of sin, the power of sin, the guilt of sin, and burn in purity, purity of life, heart, mind, soul, and body, so that, Jesus, our lives are one peon of praise to God because of your redemption in our lives. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you, Jesus, 
and we worship you, dear Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. When one of my children was a little girl, she was playing in the sand one day outside our house, and we were living in a beach community, and so there was no, there was an abundance of sand. And the little next-door neighbor was bringing in groceries, and she was just all about four years of age, and she looked at her, and she said, Miss Tracy, do you love Jesus? And she said, well, honey, yes. And she said, no, Miss Tracy, I mean, do you love him with all your heart? And she had no words, because she was a little Methodist lady that had never been born again. And she later found Jesus, but the Lord used that question from that child to just say, well, she kind of loved him, but not with all her heart. And that's what we're talking about today. Do we love Jesus? Do we love him with all our heart? And this is what we see demonstrated in the faithfulness of God to a lost people who choose to go astray, but also see demonstrated in the life of how many? One prophet. And in, in, in everyone else turning away from him, one prophet who consistently, even with tears, even with groanings, even with poetry pouring out of his soul because of the sorrow, who will not let go in spite of the most difficult circumstances. So this whole book is full of hope. That it is possible no matter what is allowed in our life, no matter what happens in our life, God can be enough for us. The enoughness of Jesus we began to talk about last year in any situation to draw us to himself and to be our enoughness, even with tears, even in incredible pain, to go forward in faithfulness. We do not have to turn to stagnant pools. We can go to the fountain of living water and let him just feed, fill us and overflow us. So what are we talking about? Once again, God is trying in his love, trying to reestablish a covenant relationship. And he is using object lessons. He's tried metaphors, so he's using object lessons. And he goes to Jeremiah and he says, Jeremiah, would you arise please and go down to the potter's house? And I, have, I, I will cause you to hear my words at the potter's house. So Jeremiah hears and he's an instant obeyer, and he goes to the potter's house. And as he goes to the house, he's, they, he's making something on the wheel. And the vessel he made was marred in his hands. So he made it again into another vessel as seemed good to the potter. And this is an incredible passage of Scripture. It's not used many more times in Scripture but it's referred to once or twice in the New Testament and then in Isaiah 53 where he's talking again about the potter and going to the house and putting the, the clay on the wheel and then there's, mar there's something marred. Now, I brought here today four pots and let me check. Uh, this one Billy made for me in fifth grade <laughs> and we can tell a difference between the hand of a professional potter and there's diff varying degrees and the degrees are the the professionalness of the potter himself then how much the clay is worked and how fine it becomes and then the firing of the clay so that you go from this little 
unbaked pot that we can't use for anything, but his mother can put it on her coffee table, but nothing else, but to rest so that can, they can be serviceable vessels and go from serviceable vessels to ones of great beauty. And what makes the difference is the willingness of the clay to submit to the, to the potter and then how many times the clay goes through the fire. So that you say, Lord, why are you allowing such incredible pain in my life and such incredible fire? And God is not mean and cruel because pain comes to all of us and life brings pain and good things happen even to God's people. But as we are in the fire, as we see Jesus in the fire with us, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that fire will make you and I so that we reflect his image and we will go from just being a more primitive little pot to a finer pot like an Eddie Martin pot, to a Wedgwood bowl. And so what God is saying here is that the potter takes it and the potter has the right to make the clay into whatever he wants to make it because he is the potter. Now, so what causes the difference? Why would the clay be marred? One of the reasons might be there might be too much water in the clay. And if there's too much water in the clay, it can't hold its shape. It just kind of falls apart that's a little bit like sometimes there's a little bit too much of the world in you and me so that what happens we can we're conformed to the image of the world you can't tell any difference when you go out and I go out and we live in our neighborhoods or we're at work there's absolutely no difference between your life and my life we take on the context of where we live so that instead of us being salt and light in the lost world the world is still inside of us and we, we there's too much water so that we are conformed to the world around us in the context in which we live instead of conformed to the potter, to what the potter wants. Is there the world in your life? Is Are you separate unto him? Have you made a decision to be all gods? Do you love him with all your heart? Do the folks at work know you love Jesus with all your heart? Does your family? Or do you and I, is there any difference between your family and the neighbors that don't know Jesus Christ? The end of the 17th chapter last week, we didn't get to it. The whole end of it is on the Sabbath day. He said, if you will honor the Sabbath day, I will get... I want it. That is a sign, an outward sign to a lost world that you are my distinct people. And I mean, that is loss in American Christendom. Absolutely lost. There's no difference between the church people and the world. And it, it is not even in the, it is in the Ten Commandments, but the sanctity of the Sabbath goes back to Genesis 2. Genesis 1, where God rested. There's to be a marked difference in the way you and I handle our time. And one day out of the seven is God's. And it's not the day to go to Kroger. It is not the day to go to the mall. It is a day to seek God and to be there available for your family and to get to church services. And to have time to refresh your soul and spirit so that there is a distinctness between you and a distinctness between those around us. And he says... Are you conformed to the world? Am I? Then what else about the potter's clay? Sometimes there's too, not enough water, and so it's brittle and hard. 
And do you know what causes that? That's when you say, Father, pardon me, I want to do it my way. And I, when it isn't inconvenience, I'll be inconvenient, I'll be glad to do it your way. When it's not out of my way, I'll be glad to serve you. But if it comes to push to shove, the bottom line is I have never died to me and I want to do it my way. And I'd like to use you to perform for me so that you'll help me do it my way. But he said, no, if I'm the potter, you have to come to the place where you die to yourself and that it's not your way anymore. It's my way so that you're not hard and brittle. And then the other way is when there's something in the clay and it's marred because there's hidden sin. Is there anything in your life or my life that is hidden that needs to come into the light? And I read last night about radically dealing with sin in our life. Radically dealing with sin so that there is a transparency in your life and mine and a transparency in our walk with him and a transparency in our walk with one another. So who I am alone is who I am when I'm here. And who you are alone is who you are when you're at church teaching Sunday school. That God moves in and there is no hidden sin. Have you and I radically dealt with sin? Revival can never come to God's people until we radically let God do something with sin. There can be no hidden sin. If there's anything in your heart today or mind that God has put his finger on, even something little, Go home and get it right and make it right right today. Don't even wait. Whatever it costs and say, Lord, I don't want anything to mar your face and I do not want to be a marred vessel. I want to be a clean vessel. Are you conforming to the world? Am I? Is there any hidden sin in our life or is there any just plain hardness of heart? Now this happens in individual lives. This happened in Israel, a whole people. And this is so symbolic of what's happened in the States. So that these people had said, no, we don't want to live for God. We want to use you, God, but we don't want to surrender to you. No, we want to be just like all our neighbors. We don't want to be distinct and separate. And no, Lord, we just, um, uh, we, we have plenty of hidden sin. Chapter 8 of Ezekiel talks about digging through the walls of the temple and where they, all the priests were in, their, in their, their, their little room of walls and all their hidden sins. The priests that were supposed to be leading the people to God himself were offering incense in a cubbyhole in the temple to other gods. He says there has to be a radical getting rid of sin. Then he said, if you will respond to me, look as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand. Because all of us are in the hands of God. And there is nothing that happens in your life or my life that is an accident. God can take everything that happens in your life and my life, and he can use it for redemptive purposes as we give it to him. 
for our good and for his glory. And he can use it as a, even things that are done for evil. God can turn them around for good like he did with Joseph. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about the redemption of his people so that God can take even evil that has been committed against you or committed against me or wrongdoing or sin. God can transform it and change it if we will allow the master potter to take it and we will give it to him. Then he says, the instant I spoke concerning the nation, plucking it up and pulling it down. He said, if a nation that I have, I have ordered, I have brought to the place of judgment so that I will pluck them up and pull them down from the first chapter of the message of Jeremiah. If, if they will return and repent, I will not pluck them up and destroy them. But even though I planned on it, I will change my mind if they will repent. But he said, if a nation that I plan blessing for because they're living for me and then they turn around and go the opposite way, I will turn my mind and bring judgment on them. He said, but I will. So he said, what I long for is a covenantal relationship with you that is that is not going to be broken because of your sin and your hardness of heart. I read an interesting story and it was almost like better than um it it was better than fiction it was have you read that one that was chuck colson wrote about the end the 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 rest of the story from um gone with the wind and you would think if any two people were planned for destruction it would have been scarlett o'hara and rhett butler and they were real life people and it was Rep Turnip Seed, a South Carolina gambler and playboy. And he married um, Emmeline Hammond and, and then left her like the gone with the wind. He left her and went into the Confederate Army. And then he became a drifter and a gambler after the war. Well, in 1871, he ended up in a little Methodist chapel. They were having a revival, and Rhett got converted. And he was drastically converted, and he ended up going to divinity school at Vanderbilt, and he came, became a Methodist preacher in the state of Kentucky. And he had a circuit in Kentucky, and one day he heard about one of the daughters of one of his church people, that had gone to St. Louis into a life of prostitution. So Rhett got on his horse and went to St. Louis to find his parishioner's daughter. He found her in a house of prostitution and, and was getting ready to take her home, and the madam of the brothel would not let her go. So he said, let me talk to her. And it was Scarlett. And Scarlett said, no way was she going to let her, her go. And he said, I'll play a game of cards for her. And he did, and Rhett won. And the little gal went home with the preacher, Rhett. And Scarlett was so overwhelmed by the change that she went to a little Methodist preaching point in St. Louis. She got converted. 
And Rhett went back preaching the gospel. They never got back together, but the little gal that was in the house of prostitution went home to her daddy and married a, a good man and became a matriarch of a large Christian family. And Scarlett gave up her prostitution and became a, became a, a took, took in orphan Cherokee children and made a home for Cherokee children. And Rhett continued to preach the gospel until he died. Now that's what God wants to do and can do if we'll turn our hearts toward him. doesn't matter what we've done. Isn't that better than fiction? Isn't that amazing what God can do? So that God says, that's what I'd like to do, but you can be the most righteous church person and you turn your heart away from me, you can be more lost than a Rhett Butler. And he said, what I want you to do, he said, so turn your heart toward me. And if you turn toward me and stay turned toward me, do you know what? There is no limit to what I can do with your life, but there cannot be any sin. And there needs to be a surrender of your will to my will and a death to your self-will, not your personhood, but your self-will. So the people, he says, you have rejected me in verse 13. You have forgotten me. And the people of Israel said what? No, we don't want any part of you, God. We're going to go our own way. And that's what they did. Now in 19, God says, all right, then I'm going to do what I don't want to have to do. And he takes one of the flasks at the potter's house and he has Jeremiah throw it down and he breaks it. He said, there is no hope. Judgment is coming. Jerusalem will be destroyed. Israel will be destroyed and you will go into captivity. And there's, uh, uh, there's no other option. And he said, you're going into captivity because you have forsaken me. This is in 19.4. And because you have burned your children in the fire to false gods and the Valley of Hinnom and Billy's there at, at, at the Jerusalem University College and he says he eats his lunch on the west wall and he looks over the Valley of Hinnom. And that's right where they had, they offered sacrifices to these false gods burned their children as part of the ceremonies and then committed sexual orgies while their children burned. And for this, Jesus said, enough is enough. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. And these were the people that were to be a witness to a lost world. And they were worse and more abominable than the people of God, than any other nation. And God said, the Gentiles marvel. The Gentiles marvel, and I personally am astonished at the lostness and the hardness of your heart. And God said, I'm going to send you into captivity, and I'm going to cure you once and for all from your idolatry, and I am going to cure you once and for all from your group sexual perversion, that never again will there be a Jew known for idolatry, and there will be no more Jews known for their absolute giving themselves to immorality and the depths and the scope of this. And there hasn't been. They came back from captivity. And you don't see any Jews worship. Discipline of God purged their souls. He said, never again. And God is going to have to do the same thing in our country unless you and I begin to rally and wake up Deborah and begin to rally our hearts to prayer and begin to get serious about walking with God and serious about interceding for our nation because I will tell you we are doing the exact same thing. We feed our souls on sewer water instead of on God himself. 
And you cannot even have a nation, a, a nation that lives like that. I try to get the news and you can't get it. You have palimony suits and this suit and that abuse all on national television because there's breakdown in personal relationships. There's no such thing as right intimacy anymore. People are so perverted and hurt. They cannot relate in intimacy one-on-one -on -one husband and wife. What they do is get on national television and say things that ought not to ever be said. And then we listen and feed our sin-sick souls on garbage. And God says, enough is enough. And we're asleep. We're asleep. We're asleep in Zion. And God comes to him and says, you will go into captivity and you will not come back for 70 years. And when you come back, there will be no more idolatry and there will be no more sexual perversion and orgies like this. And there has not been. Now what happens? He ends up in stocks. Pusher says, way the head of the, the head of the of the church. Pusher, the son of Emer, the priest who was the governor of the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah and he puts him in stocks. And uh, and and he puts him right in prison. <laughs> you say, Jesus, I'm faithful. How did I end up in stocks and in prison? Because people do not like to hear truth. We want our ears to be tickled and we want to live with our sin, but we do not want to live with the consequences of it. And so what happens is he ends up in stocks. And what happens is I love because he has a downtime sitting there in prison <laughs> in the stocks. He says, Lord, everybody laughs at me daily. Is there anything harder? One lone voice the whole nation. Everyone is divisive against me. I say the judgment's coming and they all laugh. And then I think I'm not going to share Jesus one more time. I can't bear it. But he said he burns in my soul and I cannot stop. So that you have once again Jeremiah with the pressure of such incredible rejection such incredible hardness of heart and such incredible at such difficult circumstances a one lone voice comes again to Jesus and says I, I feel like quitting Jesus and Jesus goes not quite yet <laughs> and he doesn't in Psalm 126 is where it says you go for weeping bearing precious soul, uh, precious seeds but when you still go forward it's all right if you're crying. Just keep going forward. The end isn't yet. The end isn't yet. Jesus, there's still a hope and a future. The end isn't yet. So Jeremiah goes forward. Remember that story in Brengel? The Salvation Army. Great holiness preacher of the Salvation Army. He, he, he was very gifted. A gifted order. And when, and when he got out of... Um, Boston University, um, he, 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 God, he, he was offered one of the biggest churches in Boston to preach because he was such a good preacher and such a good orator. And God said to him, I want you to go to the Salvation Army. And that was a despised, rejected little group of radical Christians. He said, are you sure? He says, yes, I do. So he gives up this big appointment and goes and offers himself to William Booth, goes across the water 
to England and Booth said, we can't use you. He says, you've got too much education, too much class. He said, you won't, you won't be able to work with the people we work with. We work with illiterate, sin-destroyed people. He said, well, I know God's called me. He said, no, we can't use you. So he went back to God. And God said, no, I've called you. So he went back to Booth. And Booth said, well, I'll give you a job. And his first job he gave him was to blacken the boots of the other Salvation Army Corps men, Corps men, many of whom were illiterate. But he got, found Jesus and were preaching the gospel. And he sat down in that basement with old boots. And the devil said, you could be at First Church in Boston. And what are you doing? Is this what God's going to do with your life? I think you're a fool. Ever felt that? And, and then Jesus came. He said, well, I washed feet. And he said, the joy of Jesus came in that cell, that old basement, and I blackened boots for those precious men and women and prayed my soul out for England and for what God wanted to do. With the spirit of Jesus, another spirit like that, the spirit of Jesus in him, God used him. And do you know, one day he was preaching the gospel in a core, and he went all over preaching the gospel and preaching holiness of heart. And one of the uh, drunks that had come in to listen had gotten very, very rowdy. So he had taken him gently to the side and put him outside. Well, the drunk was not happy and when he got out of the the hall late that night after working with people who came to the morning bench or the altar that that drunk was waiting for him and he took a brick and at only 10 feet hurled the brick at him and hit him right in the head and for 18 months he lingered between life and death And as he began to recuperate, he, he couldn't preach, he couldn't do very much yet. He began to write a little article for the Salvation Army war cry called Helps to Holiness. And they put it in a book, and millions of copies have gone around the world. It is the sweetest little book on holiness of heart. One day he came in, he was better, and he'd been out preaching. And his wife was painting the brick. He said, what are you doing with that brick? She said, the devil meant it for evil, but God turned it around for good. So that in a very dark time where you wonder why I'm here and in these difficult circumstances, surely God has forgotten. God has not forgotten. And as it's given back to him, God can take bricks or accidents or things that ought not to have occurred. Even in faithful Christian service, God can turn that around for our good and his glory if we will let him. Now in verse 1, chapter 21, do you know what happens? Nebuchadnezzar is coming and is attacking Jerusalem. 
and they didn't believe he'd ever show up. And so the king, Zedekiah, calls for Jeremiah. He's out of prison, and they call for Jeremiah, and he says, maybe God will do something wonderful and deliver us because he realized the siege works are up, and they're, they're coming to get us. And is there any help from God? And Jeremiah says, no. He said, the only help is if you turn yourself in to the Babylonians. They won't be quite so hard on you than if you go to war. But it's interesting that what looks so dismal for the prophet in the chapter before a little bit of the pressure of sin and the consequences of sin are coming on the king and the people as that that God had told them was going to happen begins to occur and Jerusalem is under siege. And then they turn to Jeremiah and say, could God do a miraculous thing like he did before, like in the Exodus or like he's done over and over again in the Old Testament? Could God come through for us? Now, where are their false gods at this point? They know they're nothing. So they begin to manipulate and bargain with God. But they want to use God on their own terms, and they do not want to correspond with God's nature and enter into a covenant relationship with him. They just want to manipulate and use him, not worship him. And that's also the state of our hearts so many times. We want to manipulate God and use him for our own purposes instead of enter into a covenant relationship and let God be God in our life. And I just wonder today, God cannot be manipulated. Aren't you glad? God cannot be manipulated. And God will bring every single one of us to a place where we enter into a time where it seems like there is no hope and that all my good intentions don't quite measure up, all my little spirituality doesn't quite cut the mustard, and I, I try to be holy so that God will bless me and keep me and prosper me, and then it doesn't work out that way. And then, God's, and then God brings us to the place where it seems there's no hope except God, and we have gotten rid of all our little games and laid them down finally, and then we realize that our only answer is God himself. And then we realize he's good. <laughs> and he has our best interests at heart. He is utterly trustworthy. And the joy of his life is to do good to us if we would let him. But we have to let him be God. So I don't know today. There may be one here. You just say, it's hopeless. No, it's not hopeless. Nothing is hopeless if Jesus, if we give ourselves to him and say, Jesus, would you come in and transform this so that you can be glorified and that I can come to the end of myself and all my ideas and ways of escape and then just cast myself on you. There's no other way out but God's way. And then as and realize that he's good and that his joy is to take care of me. Do you know him like that today? Do you know him like that today? It's easy to forget that. 
It's easy to keep trying in our own strength instead of letting Jesus live his life out through us. It's easy to try to manipulate him and bargain with him instead of letting him be God and then entering into a love relationship to know that he is good. There was a little mama. She had three little girls. And it was near Christmas time. And uh, they were getting ready. She was getting ready to go to work. And uh, her little girl came up to her, Becky. And she was just like three. And she had a little baby doll that she loved. And every time they went out, she had to dress the baby doll. His name was Charlie had to dress Charlie, and then also had to wrap Charlie in a little scrap of a blanket that had just been worn out with love. We know those fluffies. So this little gal, they were getting ready, and the mommy had been married, but her husband, two years before, had just broken his covenant relationship and walked out. So she was struggling to care for three little girls and to live and to still hold on to her faith and Jesus and trust him with the severe economic factors of a very limited lifestyle. He left a wife, three little girls, and no money. But she had Jesus. She had Jesus. So they went to work. She cleaned houses, a different house every day, took the two older girls to school, and then little Becky would go with her and take Charlie and stay with her while she cleaned, and she could get home at three, and she didn't have to go on welfare. And that was very important to her. Well, Christmas was coming, and they went that week to the house, and it was the Anderson's house, and they had the wreath on the door, and Becky could not remember Christmas. And she walked in and was just absolutely spellbound. She sat in, in a chair all morning looking at the tree, talking to Charlie about everything that was on the tree and the presents under it. Well, they went the next day to another house, same kind of Christmas. But there was none of that at their house because they just didn't have any money. So she said, Mommy, why do they, is this a birthday party? And the mommy said, yes, it's Jesus's. And she said, let me show you. So they went to a creche that one of the churches had outside on the lawn before it was illegal, and they put it, and, they, and it was a large crash, and they went and said, and she shared the Christmas story that it was baby Jesus's birthday, and everybody was having a party. Every day, she wanted to go see baby Jesus in the manger and see that crash. Her sisters got exasperated with it, and they got exasperated with always having to take Charlie and always look for his blanket and have him wrapped up. And his mother said, we've got to let Becky have something in her life that's secure. And at the moment, it's Charlie. We will bear with Charlie. So she said they didn't have anything. The older girls were sad. The mommy was sad. And the mommy was a little bitter. You can imagine. Like, pardon me, where are you, Jesus? Have you forgotten? Said, but then... Christmas morning came, and the girls, two older ones, came and snuggled in bed, and she said, go get Becky up, and I've got a few things for you, and they had got a little house plant that was bigger than usual and decorated that, and she said, we'll go out by our tree. Well, they couldn't find Becky. No Becky. 
And so she started to panic, and she said, Lord, it won't matter if we don't have anything if we have Becky. Nothing else is important. Please, Jesus. And then she looked, and there was Charlie looking out the window. And she knew what, and Charlie did not have a blanket on. And something in her mommy mind clicked, and she thought of the crash. She said, stay here to the little girls. And she walked down to that church, and there was Becky. She crawled up in the manger, and she was covering baby Jesus with Charlie's blanket. She said, he really won't mind Jesus because he has me to keep him warm, and it's your birthday, and this is the only present I could think of to give you. And she said the mommy came and got her, left Jesus wrapped up in Charlie's blanket. They went home, and she said he had come. She said the bitterness was gone. There wasn't a prettier Christmas tree than my houseplant with, can with all those little lights and popcorn balls on it. And said, Jesus came, and in the midst of our utter poverty, our utter despair, I knew that I had a future and a hope. And my child had led me that I needed to love him and give back to him who had given so much to me, the one who, in spite of what other people might do, he would never break his covenant relationship with me. If there was any breaking that it would be done, I would break it, not God. He is the covenant-keeping God. Where are you and I today? He longs to love us and to be good to us. He longs to have a love relationship with us. Are we bitter? Are we unhappy with our circumstances? Are we angry at our spouse? Do we think our life is too hard? Or have we entered into the joy of saying, Jesus, I love you for who you are, not for who, all your gifts. And Jesus, how can I minister to your heart today and express my love back to you just for being you? Oh, that he might give us a spirit of the child today, that we might perfect our praise like babes and nursing children and just depend upon him and worship him and love him and adore him. He is worthy of our praise. Jesus, 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 don't let any of us today be in the same place that Israel was, just hardened their hearts, said, we don't want fountains of living water. I'll do it my way. I want to be just like the rest of the world. I don't want to bear the derision and scorn of being different. I don't want to enter into a love relationship with the eternal God that makes that causes me to have to live a, a holy life. I just want to live for myself. Jesus, and that will reject the fountain of living water and all the sweetness of your presence as well as your gifts that are so good that we fall in love with your gifts instead of the giver. And Jesus, that you would turn our hearts toward home and toward you 
And that, Lord, today we might come and not just drink from the fountain, but we might just let the the blood of Jesus cleanse, purify, heal, and set free. Thank you for that you have a future and a hope for us. Thank you that in very difficult times, even with tears, even when things are all wrong, even when people are laughing at us for standing for Jesus, even when there's no one else, that, Lord, you would put something in our hearts, a Jeremiah something, that we would say, though no one else follows, I can do no else. I must belong to Jesus. He has met the deepest needs of my heart. He is the love of my life. Do it today. Lord Jesus, let the the day be a day that someone here is utterly set free into a covenantal love relationship with the person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. Now, Lord, we thank you and we love you. Thank you for your blood that can cleanse from every sin. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen.